0: Uh, all right, so I want you guys to turn in your Bibles to First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> and uh, before we get taken too far off, so many of you said, hey, the Welcome Center looks amazing. Uh, so you want to tell Teresa Simmons, great job on that. If you see her, she'll probably be at the Welcome Center after this. And there is a person that we're just not going to name. He has a green shirt up here on the second row. And he built the wall up there. So you can tell him, great job as well. Just don't look at him. It makes him turn red. And I know the feeling. <laughs> so just look up here at me, okay? All right. So we're all in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Um, uh, last week, Robin helped us get a, a handle on what we'll call like Peter's frame or Peter's framework or his philosophy that undergirds the letter he's writing to a group of people we'll talk about in a second, but Robin tried to summarize that framework or philosophy by giving us candy. And I'm jealous is the bottom line, I'm just jealous. Uh, I wanna have candy today, I wanted to get up here and eat candy and I have no way to make this about candy. So we're going to just talk about candy without having it. But Robin said, and I would agree, it's a great way to summarize it, are we living for the here and now, or are we living for the now and later? Peter's framework, his philosophy, his mindset, his way of thinking is to encourage the listener, the hearer, the reader, to live for the now and later. And it's for a reason that Robin shared some of last week. And a reason that we're going to discover much more of over the course of the summer as we continue to dig into the book of 1 Peter. Uh, the week before that, um, many of you might have been here for that, but I just want to summarize that quickly if I can. We, we talked about the importance of knowing the author, and when you know the author, uh, re- remember how important it was to know the author of my special note? Right? We have to know the author because when we know the author, it adds meaning. It adds meaning to the message and adds a depth that we won't have if we don't know the author. We know the author of all but one of the books in our Bible. So we, we kind of got to know not just Peter as author, writer, leader, but we recalled some portraits, some Polaroids, some snapshots of the life of Peter uh, as sort of a confessing sinner. He believed Jesus was the Christ. We use his confession here. When we're joined, someone's joining our body of believers, we use that confession. Peter's. But Peter kind of screwed up a lot, didn't he? So Peter made a whole bunch of mistakes we looked at how Peter is an example for us, maybe someone who could even be a guide for us, as we seek to be not just everyday people, but fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Peter, as we saw, became that. And so we want to look at a guy Who started where we started, but a guy who also got where Jesus wants us to get as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, our lives being transformed into his likeness. So, who writes matters. This week, we're talking about when. Uh, You're already in 1 Peter, so I want to read this real quick. Uh, To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So uh, we're going to make a little timeline up here, if you guys would follow along now. If I travel this way, am I going back in time? Is this back in time for you guys? Did I just go back in time? Just nod your head if I'm back in time. Okay. And so this is forward in time, right? Okay. Okay. So... Who who was this written to? Let's talk about um, these people here. He calls them exiles. Let's talk about these. And on our map, we're going to see where these folks were. And and then I want to read you guys like just some excerpts from a letter. But uh, I'm going to read you a few excerpts from a letter that is written from the governor of Bithynia and Pontius. Now, I know some of you guys are just like, I'm so excited. I get to hear ancient history today, Right. Just try to hide your excitement, okay? Just hold on. I know it's very exciting, but I believe that this is critical to our understanding, the thrust of, the depth of, the extra meaning that we're going to garner from this little bit of history. Trust me, you'll survive for a service. No one died, okay? So this governor, his name is Pliny the Younger. Anybody heard that name before? Yep, I know why. Okay. All right. So, Pliny the Younger. Let me read to you. This is an excerpt from a letter that he wrote to Trajan, who was like the emperor over here in Rome. Okay. He's like the emperor of the whole thing. So, he writes this letter to Trajan, and he says, I've never participated in trials of Christians. Now, remember, I'm fast-forwarding our timeline. I'm just like, let's say, just about the turn of the century. So, 96, 7, 8, 9, somewhere in there. We're, we're on our way into the second century. And, and Pliny is writing to Trajan. Over here, this is a little bit in the future of what Peter, we're reading about. I've never participated in trials of Christians. I do not know what offenses to punish or investigate. I'm a little hesitant as to whether there should be any distinction between the very young and the more mature, whether pardon is to be granted for repentance. Whether the name Christian, even without offenses, like doing nothing at all, or only the offenses associated with the name are to be punished. We're just 30 years in advance, maybe 40 in advance, or I'm sorry, after the writing of 1 Peter. He he goes on to say to Trajan, meanwhile, in the case of those who were denounced to me as Christians, I've observed the following procedure. I interrogated those as to whether they were a Christian. If they confessed, I interrogated a second and a third time, threatening them with punishment, and then execution. So really brief timeline, we're talking about 60 to 68 over there, and we're like end of the century over here, where not in Rome, right? Rome's over here. We're talking about the provinces of the Roman Empire, outlying provinces, like not downtown, okay? This is, if you want to imagine the cultural influence coming at us from San Francisco, New York City, it might be similar to that. It takes a long time to get there, those places, right? They're far away, and they are far away in so many more ways than just distance, right? They are far away. So that area right there, this letter from Pliny to Trajan, that happened just about 30 to 40 years later. So it's possible then some of the recipients of first Peter's first letter could have still been alive it's also possible that their children maybe were like later teens or even adults at this time so keep that in mind as we consider to whom this letter was written and i want to cover when this letter was written i talked about this time over here where we've got Pliny writing a letter to trajan but let me uh, rewind a little bit because I believe it's important for us to understand that when carries weight, but I mean like when, okay, not any other, just W-H-E-N, all right, when carries weight. It, it, uh, it kind of shapes our understanding, and I think you'll see why. You can let me know if uh, I totally didn't make the point. But back to my yearbook, can you guys tell I just discovered this like in a box? I just can't stop talking about it. But uh, this is important, okay, because uh, we talked last two weeks ago about how who writes is important and like signed by Andrea, you know, Fisher. Um, and, and then another thing I said we're going to talk about, we're talking about now, and that is when carries weight. So Andrea writes this to me, I love your beautiful eyes, your hair is so beautiful, right? I mean, I'm, it probably says that basically, we'll just say, uh, but... She writes that to me six months before we start dating. And at the time, I'm just thinking like, yeah, whatever, you know, she's nice is what I'm thinking. But looking back, now we can see how holy smoke, she was saying, dude, I want to date you, right? (laughs) Only I was way oblivious. I mean, I was, oh, you can ask her. I was not having much of a clue. Okay, so when Carrie's weight, you guys have, uh, I'm confident seeing this sign in a, a, a bathroom of a local restaurant, no bathroom humor, but it is in the bathroom, and that is how long a minute is depends on which side of the bathroom door you're on, because uh, when you're waiting, when really carries weight, doesn't it? So uh, just just in the, uh, the, like the recent past, I mean even this week, of our church family, uh, some people have experienced this, in just Uh, In the month of March, for my personal family, we experienced this, and that is uh, the power of when, uh, you know, a hospice nurse or or doctor, they have a sense that none of us have. They are able to tell the difference between days left and hours left, and when time is short, when... Wind carries extra weight when time is short. Uh, our family was given the grace of uh, just that that distinction between days and hours, and because of that gift of grace, we we were able to share prayers and memories and blessings that my grandmother was to us. And when time is short, wind carries extra weight. So let's go back just a little in time again. We're going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And it is necessary that we kind of try to nail down this time frame because I believe when carries weight, you decide. Does it carry the weight I claim it carries? When carries weight... AD 60 to AD 68. If you're like a note taker, I wouldn't start writing this in 1 Peter yet. Um, I I think it's even more narrow than that, but it has to be before 68 because um, Nero commits suicide then. And the early church fathers, they tell us that both Peter and Paul were martyred by Nero. So we know it has to be before 68. So uh, uh, another thing that helps us understand... Um, A little bit more about this date, uh, because I believe when matters. Uh, And more than I believe when matters about a specific exact date, I believe knowing more about the atmosphere, the socio-political... I I hate that word, okay? I want to talk about, like, what people think of one another, and then socio-political, social, uh, political, what people think of their leaders and what their leaders think of them, okay? So let's just say socio-political, kind of what people think and feel about one another and their various reasons. I can tell some of you guys are like, yes, I'm so jacked. I just couldn't wait to hear about that today, right? So you guys, you're going to have to hold it together because you're distracting me, okay? (laughs) Just calm down. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 4, this is the only fast forward we're going to do in the book of Peter today. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 you're going to have to decide whether this influenced was influenced by what we're talking about next. Uh, uh, but I want to read it. I think it, it may have been influenced about, by what we're talking about. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Rome burnt for six days. Rome burnt for six days in July of 64. So those of you that are historians, you, like, you wanted to shout that out, didn't you? You wanted to shout out, like, Rome burnt! Let's talk about Rome burning, right? So this is like for big bonus points. Does anybody know where Nero was while Rome started burning? If you're in first service, it doesn't count. Okay, Nero is the leader at the time, and Nero is, in fact, he is in Greece, another province of Rome at the time. And he's in Greece, and he's showing off his beautiful, like massive finger quotes, beautiful paintings. And he's also down there showing off his beautiful voice, right? But he's like the emperor, which the Romans were forced to call God. So, of course, he's winning hundreds of medals for being such an amazing painter and singer. And then we find out, hey, Rome's burning. So he comes back to Rome, and he makes sure that the, the, uh, the Roman guard is defending his estate and the estate of his boyfriend. Yes, I said boyfriend. It's that perverse. So Nero rushes back to Rome with his beautiful singing voice, probably left his paintings because we don't want those to burn. And, and Nero is now in the midst of the six-day fire of Rome in July of 64. So we're beginning to develop the socio-political uh, climate of Rome, the place p- Peter wrote the letter from. And I think when is really important I think it carries a lot of weight. I think it's important. You decide. So Nero rushes back to Rome, his estate is not burnt, his boyfriend's is not, but guess what is burnt? Seventy percent of the city of Rome, and the lowest class of citizen, the peasant, they are most adversely, refect- adversely affected. Like their homes are gone, their ashes. So what's a leader to do? Well, if you're Nero, uh, you build a great golden palace in the middle of where everybody had houses, and that's what you do. You, You do that. So the people are, of course, like the public, they're livid with Nero. They don't have homes, but he's getting not only his estate, but now like a giant palace. Huh. Now, what about the provinces? Because remember, we've got Rome over here, but then we've got all these other provinces. Now, the provinces have been writing letters to Nero in Rome to say, hey, dude, things are not going well. I'm not saying this is every province, but I am saying as a general manner of speaking, there were uprisings in multiple provinces with governors writing letters saying, hey, we got a little skirmish going on over here. Please send the army. Things are getting out of hand. It's about to be not Rome, okay? So send us some help meanwhile singing painting and now don't forget we've also not just got the public and we've not just got the provinces but we've also got the senate okay so we've got the senate who's a group of leaders who are supposed to stay in power and supposed to keep these crazy emperors in check but that's sort of a farce because ending with Nero but even going back does anybody remember the ides of march a certain guy that was killed anybody say it if you know it Caesar, right? Caesar Augustus. That, that's sort of the beginning time of this line where these guys became increasingly inward focused. And we kind of ended with Nero, who was a full-blown, self-deceived, psycho, complete narcissist, crazy person. And, and I think that might be an understatement because he was full-on crazy. So the Senate felt that way about Nero, So you've got the public and you've got the provinces and you've got the Senate and they're all not happy with Nero and Rome just burnt. It's like literally going up in flames. Okay, I think that was an okay worse use of the word literally. Would you agree? We try not to abuse this word. It drives me crazy. So it is on fire, just finished burning. Let's build a temple to me. Look at my paintings, listen to my voice. In that sort of a climate, what do you think a politician like Nero needs, he needs somebody to blame, doesn't he? He needs a scapegoat. And man, are the Jews everybody's favorite scapegoat. But they don't work for Nero because a couple of reasons. Certain sects of Judaism would not ascribe to him the identity of a god, uh, and that would have made him great. But then there were other sects of Judaism that are like, oh yeah, you're a god, everything's good, and also Yahweh. Uh, which of course is just bonkers, but they would do it, certain sects of Judaism. But the most important thing that tells us that they couldn't be the scapegoat is a lot of the adherents of either one of those sects were very powerful. They were wealthy, they were connected socially, they were even politically active. So Nero can't blame them. So who do we blame? Let me see if I can describe them for you. I'm not fast-forwarding in time, okay? Let me see if I can describe them for you. They were known as atheists because they didn't believe in the Roman gods... And they wouldn't sacrifice to the emperor or say that he's a god. Uh, and also these people were described as, uh, they were incestuous. Because when they were together, there was all of this brotherly love going on. And we didn't really know what that was about. And then worse than all of that, they were cannibalistic. Because they would eat the flesh and blood of their dead savior. He died 30 years before this. Sound familiar? So Nero chooses the Christians as his scapegoat. And there's a historian named Tacitus who writes uh, the Historia and the Annals. And and I I need you to hear this. Do you have time for an aside? It's like a minute aside. We consider this historically accurate, what he writes. Tacitus, what Tacitus writes. You guys say that with me. Historically accurate. Historically accurate. Ask me how many copies there are of his Historia and Annals. Ask me how many. Okay, you you want to know. I can tell. You're on the edge of your seats. You want to know. There are 20 copies. Now go look up how many copies we have, how many fragments and minuscules and entire copies of the New Testament we have. That's your job. You're going to go look that up. 20. Remember, 20 is what we have for a large part of the history of Rome. So in Tacitus, uh, Historia and Annals, he begins to write a record of all of these crazy emperors, right? And he's coming up towards Nero and he records that Nero treats the Christians this way. He says they were quartered by wild dogs. He says that they were fed to lions and tigers for a public spectacle. He says that the Christians were put on posts because when daylight passed and the gardens need to be illuminated in Nero's estate, uh, we had to put Christians on those poles, douse them with oil and light them on fire so that we could see the garden at night. That's how Nero began to treat the Christians. Now, we're talking about a letter that is written from the time period that, that this is all happening. This is where Peter is writing from, and this is the, the climate during which it's being written. That's why I believe when carries weight. Peter's writing to a group of people who were about to experience something like that in the empire of Rome when carries weight. There was a tweet that went out about four weeks ago. It was an assignment. is this assignment here from Christian Academy of Louisville. Uh, you didn't hear that wrong. Christian Academy uh, of Louisville. And that tweet was retweeted about 1,700 times. I just checked this morning. Uh, 1,700 times it was retweeted, but it didn't have to get retweeted 20,000 times because the national media picked it up. So uh, I want to read you a few headlines. Uh, Our own Courier Journal writes, thank you, Courier Journal, Christian Academy of Louisville homework shows indoctrination happening in private school. Insider.com. School assigns homework telling kids to talk friend out of being gay. WDRB, another local. Private school asks students to write essay Disapproving of Homosexual Friend. Let me read for you, Christians, what this Christian teacher assigned. Uh, Write a letter to a friend of your same gender who is struggling with homosexuality. Assume, listen very carefully to this wording, assume that you have known this friend since kindergarten, that you go to the same church, and that you've been pretty good friends over the years until recently. This friend is your same age. The aim of your letter should be to lovingly and compassionately speak truth To the person you're talking to in a way that does not approve of the sin. Instead, and this is what's in all caps here, try to persuade them of the goodness of God's design for them. Uh, To just recap, assigned by a Christian teacher uh, in a Christian school where the students are, say it if you know it, they're Christians. That's right. And the letter, in fact, is written to someone in their imaginary who is also a what? What are they? A Christian. Why is this news? I have no idea why that's news, but this is how our society currently sees us they're outraged if we don't bend or reshape or just entirely abandon the truth when it doesn't fit with what they want to do, be it murdering babies or having a lover of the same gender. We're the enemy because we don't accept that. Now, I am not, to be very clear, I am not claiming we are suffering some kind of persecution like what our brothers and sisters suffer in the Middle East or in China. We're not at all. In fact, I'm not even using the word persecution because they give their lives just to have a scrap of Scripture there. However, our culture is before our eyes, not only unraveling and devolving into sin, but is beginning to look for a scapegoat. Because it's obviously not going to work out, is it? It's obviously not going to call sin. Righteousness isn't going to work out. And there's going to need to be a scapegoat. So I'm wondering how helpful would it be for us as everyday people traveling, journeying through this life in an effort to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, how helpful would it be? to have a letter from a guy who struggled to confess Christ and also not get in his way, who struggled to uphold what he says he believes without letting his own self-interest get in the way, saying, I don't know that Jesus, three times in Jesus' most intense trial. How helpful would it be to have a letter from a guy like that, who was also able to receive restoration from Jesus, redemption and transformation such that he becomes a leader of the church. How helpful would it be to have a letter from a person who lived in a time in a specific place where Christians were first accepted and then in the blink of an eye, they're torn to pieces by lions, tigers, wild dogs, and they're lit to illuminate gardens. I think who writes it matters. I think when it is written matters. And I think Peter is the ideal candidate to write a letter to Christians like yourself and like myself to discover how do we live in a time where our own proclamation of doctrine, of truth, is under attack in the public square. I think Peter is the ideal author, the ideal guide to lead us through a very uncertain time in our own lives. If you would bow your heads, next week I want to talk about how Peter expects us to behave in light of everything we've said But today, if you have a decision to make regarding your relationship with Christ, maybe a decision to make to say, I need to become closer to other believers. Maybe a step to say, I need to begin serving my fellow believers. I know I was given a gift. I'm empowered by the Spirit to do something for this church. Maybe it is the case that you simply need prayer. We have a, a booth right outside that We've prepared to meet you and to pray with you, and it won't happen right there, we'll probably go down the hall, but to meet for prayer and counsel to find out what kind of a next step you might take as you journey from an everyday person to a fully devoted follower of Christ. Father God, it's my prayer today that you would be working in each of our hearts, preparing us to accept the truth of your word and then emboldening us to obey by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. All God's people said...